Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Hello everyone and welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell Texas Football. You can find all my work online at texasfootball.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF, like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Texas Football. Follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. And make sure to check out the new Texas basketball magazine, Dave Campbell's Texas Basketball, which is on bookshelves now and available at texasbasketball.com. But without further ado, it's week 12. Week 12 of the college football season. I, I can't believe how fast the season has gone. <laughs> it seems like just yesterday we were pulling up excited about Jimbo Fisher's first ever game in college football. And now, all of a sudden, it's, it's the 11th game of the season for most of these teams. And... You know, you really just have to look at the college power poll to be able to appreciate just how far this season has come. Has come, Because, again, I mean, you look at the college power poll right now, Texas has kind of emerged as the top team in the state of Texas. And heading into the year, I don't think much of anybody thought that that's what we were going to be dealing with in college football. But Texas number one, TCU is suddenly near the bottom of the poll. They were number one coming into the year. Houston has gone all the way to the top, gone all the way back down. Baylor's kind of still there. UTEP has managed to escape the cellar. It's been a crazy season, but this is why we watch college football, I guess, right? And actually, I had a great first trip last week. I went to TTECU Stadium in Houston, saw a University of Houston game on their home field for the first time, and it was great. I mean, Derek King is, he's something else, man. I, I know that Unfortunately, he should end up losing the game to Temple, but Derek King is the real deal. Uh, got to see Ed Oliver up close. He didn't play, but he's a very large human being. And the, the crowd in Houston is great. And obviously, it's one of the best food cities that there is. I have to make sure and give a special shout out to Spanish Flowers. You've got to make sure and check that out if you live in Houston. Unbelievable Mexican food, especially those tortillas are absolutely to die for. But anyway, let's get back to business. Again, it's week 12 of the college football season. There's a lot ahead. It's kind of a slow week of college football, unfortunately, especially in the state of Texas, but there's still some major things going on and some major things that are still left to play for. Houston's still trying to earn its spot in, in the American title game, but so is SMU, who sneakily jumped up, and they're playing on Friday, and they have a chance to maybe, maybe make it to the title game. Who, and who would have thought that only a couple of weeks ago? UNT playing against FAU on Thursday. It, it's not the marquee matchup that maybe we thought that it was, at one time, but uh, you know, I, I think that UNT still has an opportunity to prove something against Florida Atlantic, and uh, they have an opportunity to put their imprint on the season. And and still, even if they can just win out the rest of their games and win nine games and have a chance to win ten in a bowl game, it's still a fantastic season for Seth Luttrell's squad at UNT. Anyway, without further ado. We're going to go ahead and get our guest on the line. We've got KCEN's Jessica Mori. She covers Baylor for KCEN in Waco, Colleen area. Jessica's a great guest. We talk about Baylor football, what a six win would mean for this program. But don't, uh, don't leave after that. After the break, we've also got picks for every single game in Texas college football this week, at least all the FBS games. So stick around, and we'll be back with you shortly. We're joined now by Jessica Mori. She's a sports reporter and anchor over at KCEN in Waco. Jessica, how are you doing? Doing well. Cold, but well. <laughs> I know, right? This this weather is is not what you expect when you say that you're moving to Texas. 
No, not at all. <laughs> well, we're bringing on Jessica to talk some Baylor football. So obviously the Bears right now are sitting at 5-5, five and five, just one win away from a bowl game. Why do you think they've been able to move from one win a season ago to 5-5 five and five with a chance at a bowl right now? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're in the second year under Matt Rule and his staff. Um, I think they were able to you know, become more comfortable as the time went on and everyone's kind of bought into what he's selling, which is great. Um, so I think that was, you know, extremely important. He was able to get some of his guys in there too, which is good. Um, you know, there's not a ton of, of leftover from, you know, the Bryles era and the Grove year. Um, it's kind of more becoming all of Matt rules guys. So that's helped. Uh, and people are starting to, uh, trust his process as he would say. So one of the biggest uh, improvements that we've seen this year is in sort of on offense. Uh, and Charlie Brewer has been at the very center of it. Um, where do you think he's improved the most? And where do you think he still has to improve the most? Um, I think Charlie's done, you know, he's done a great job. You could see just from the end of the, you know, Iowa State game when he was ejected and Jalen McClendon had to come in and, you know, Baylor was driving and had a chance you know, to possibly win that game in the fourth quarter. But without Charlie, there wasn't a chance they were going to be able to do that, uh, which was unfortunate. But um, I think Charlie's just, you know, he's gotten smarter and more comfortable. Um, he knows he's more comfortable with the receivers last year. You know, he came in in the last few games, uh, you know, didn't really know the, you know, the receivers because he, you remember it was supposed to be a new Solomon and then it was going to be, uh, and then it was Zach Smith and then Charlie was the third guy that you thought, you know, we're not going to see Charlie play at all. So uh, he's been able to get a lot more comfortable in his role. I think um, now I don't, you know, see him on the sideline as much. I'm running around shooting the highlights, um, but I do. He's a quiet guy. He's not super talkative. He's a competitor, but he keeps to himself and he's, He's pretty calm, uh, you know, and I know Baylor's still kind of looking for that leader to kind of come in and uh, and rally the troops. And I just don't know how vocal he's been, uh, you know, as a leader. So he he might once he gets a little bit more comfortable in the next year, um, you know, that could that could gr he could grow into more of that leadership role. But I think he's he's pretty, you know, a quiet guy, which why, you know, him getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and getting ejected last week was was, you know, even more of a surprise because he doesn't ever say anything. <laughs> so in the first couple of games of the season, especially against Duke and especially against Oklahoma, uh, Baylor had a lot of issues with sort of secondary tackling and, and letting guys get to the second level. And that was still true against West Virginia. But, you know, they've rotated in a couple of young safeties, guys like Christian Morgan, JT Woods. How much of a boost do you think some of these young guys who are playing right away have given them so far? Um, I think they've given them a big boost. I think they still have some issues with some missed tackling. You could see it in the first half of the Iowa State game. And I think that's just because they're, you know, they get like Coach Rule said in his press conference this week, you know, they, they got to settle down. They get all hyped up, you know, in the first half and they came out, played better in the second half, minus the fight and everything. Uh, and that was because they had calmed down. So I think that also has to do with the fact that a lot of the young guys are back there in the secondary um, and they just get so hyped up and there's so much on the line and they know that. Um, but I think bringing anytime you bring younger guys in, it motivates the older guys because then it's, you know, they don't want their jobs to be taken by the younger guys and the younger guys are going to work harder because they know that they have more years here than the older guys. And, you know, they're not necessarily the number one uh, choice you know, coming in. So I think that, uh, you know, that's helped bringing, bringing them in. And then 
you know, the secondary Baylor's always kind of had some some issues in the secondary, but it is starting to get better, which is great. Um, you know, hopefully in another year or so under Phil Snow's defense, they'll really be able to to kind of hold some some teams to some lower scoring, uh, lower scoring games. So Baylor's obviously brought in former Tennessee transfer Jalen Hurd, uh, who currently leads the team in receiving yards with 837. Also been a big factor in the running game with over 200 rushing yards and three touchdowns as well. Uh, what has he been able to do well? And were you surprised at all with how much uh, Baylor has decided to go to him right away? Uh, I wasn't surprised going to him right away. I thought, you know, he was going to come in and, and make an immediate impact because he did have that whole year where he wasn't, where he had to sit out, but he got to practice and he got to, you know, learn and, and everything. He didn't get to play. So I think he, you know, spent, you know, spent all that time getting ready and getting prepared. And he's huge. I mean, you can't not go to him. He's huge. Uh, and he makes those catches. And I, I was a little bit more surprised how much they used him in the running game because that took a while for, for Matt Rule to kind of start putting him in the backfield. That took about three or four games before he was more in the backfield. And, and I, I don't know if that was, you know, he came here to play wide receiver, so I don't know if maybe he didn't want to, to play running back anymore, and that was why it was hesitant. He was only in on third down situations. But now you see he's back there even more. Um, and he says that, that he loves it. He loves being able to do both. He knew he was going to have to do both. So, um, you know, that's that's been good that he's been willing to play both roles. But, I mean, he's just – he's a big guy, and he's going to come down, you know, with those tough balls. Him and Denzel Mims are going to be able to be those two guys you can go to, uh, you know, that are going to be able to come down with the ball if maybe it's a little it's a little high or, you know, a little underthrown even. They're, they're usually able to come down with it. Well, you mentioned the running game. Uh, while they've been able to have some success with Hurd in the short yardage game, um, again, they don't have a single 400-yard rusher this year. Even though they have some guys who average some decent numbers, obviously John Lovett and Jermichael Hasey both averaging over five in attempt, why do you think the staff has been a little reluctant to trust the run game, and how much do you think that has to do with the injuries on the offensive line? I think a lot of it has to do with the injuries on the offensive line. I mean, you could watch that West Virginia game and know that, I mean, the offensive line just was, struggled, and they played a lot better um, you know, this past game against Iowa State, but it's really, you know, Charlie gets hit quite a bit and they're not able to get to the second level running the ball at all. And they're not having a lot of success running up the middle, uh, but they do keep trying that. So hopefully it pays off, um, but they don't really, uh, you know, try to go to the outside at all. Um, and, you know, that's kind of tough. You really, I don't, you can't win a lot of games without being pretty balanced running and throwing the ball. So they've gotten better, but again, it's, you know, you're, like you said, they haven't had a 400 yard rusher. It's, you know, two games are left in the season. So it's going to be one of those, you know, not super impressive years when it comes to, to rushing yards. And I mean, you looked at the Oklahoma state game and they had a lot of rushing yards, which was great. But again, a lot of that was that 75 yard run that John Lovett was able to break off for the touchdown. So, um, it's just been they've just been struggling and the offensive line I think has been struggling they have a lot of new guys in there um you know they have a new coach they have Sean Bell coming in you know that hadn't coached the offensive line uh he comes in ends up having to take over for for George DeLeon pretty much he's still around obviously and helping out as much as he can but it's really Sean Bell that's in there um and so there's a lot of new stuff going on you know on the offensive line and I think they have good leaders you know, with Sam Tecklenburg and Blake Blackmore and those guys. Uh, but when you're putting younger freshmen, Connor Gavin and things like that in there, that makes it, you know, uh, even tougher just having young guys in such a important role. 
where do you think the next step has to come for Baylor? Does it have to be on the offensive line? Does it have to be depth? Does it have to be secondary tackling? What What's the difference between this team, again, winning five or six games and winning eight to nine? I think they have to be able to, I mean, I think it's twofold. They have to be able to run the ball, uh, you know, and I think the running back crew is talented. Uh, so I think the offensive line, they will need to, you know, to get, hopefully a few more big guys down there um, and more depth in the next year. But uh, another thing is they've got to, on defense, they're just, you know, they're not forcing a lot of turnovers. They're not, they're not necessarily, you know, getting in the backfield a lot, um, getting sacks and, and things like that. And they're, they've got to be able to force, if they can't run the ball, they've got to be able to force turnovers. And either way, you know, you watch the game, you're like, wow, this would be a great time for a turnover. This would be great. You know, this is what it needs to happen. And it just, it, you know, it doesn't happen, unfortunately. So um, I think once, they start getting some guys that are able to force some turnovers, which that'll come. I mean, everyone on the defense is pretty, pretty young. So they've got, they're going to get, I mean, look at James Lynch. He's their most, you know, their best player on defense, defensive tackle. And he is a sophomore. So I mean, they're just going to get better, you know, within the next few years. But I think it was tough after the West Virginia game to see, you know, that performance. And then you're like, wow, you know, there's got to be some changes made or what's going on with them. And then you have to think they won one game last year. Like they've improved for sure. You can't question that they've gotten so much better. So you have to think, okay, now you don't want to get spoiled and be like, okay, they should have gone to West Virginia on the road on a Thursday in 30 degree weather and beat the Mountaineers, you know, at Milan Pushkar. (laughs) And I think some fans expected that. And it's like, no, you know, they didn't, obviously they shouldn't have played the, they played terribly, but um, it shouldn't have been that bad of a game, but you know, that they weren't going to win that game. And that's just kind of, you know how it is, but they've gotten that. I mean, if they can get to a bowl, I don't see why Matt Rule doesn't win Big 12 Coach of the Year. I don't see why really everyone kind of starts getting back behind behind Baylor here, but they've got to get it done this week, uh, you know, which isn't going to be easy, I don't think at all, especially with it being TCU and being a rivalry game. Yeah, you mentioned that game. Uh, you know, obviously they play TCU this weekend, 11 a.m. on Fox Sports 1. How big would it be to not only get a win on Saturday to make a bowl game for the first time in the Matt Rule era, but also potentially knock TCU out of a bowl game as well? I mean, I think that would be huge. I think, you know, uh, the younger guys probably don't understand the, you know, the rivalry too much. Um, And I think it was definitely, you know, last year was kind of, you know, a weird game. and There's a fight at the end. It was a whole thing. Um, But I think you know, you go back and you watch, you see what happened last when they played TCU and Waco the last time, you know, it was the, the blackout game, but it was also the kind of weird CAB, not CAB game, you know, where the coaches were sending out mass tweets, you know, before, the, before you know, the Friday night before, and it was crazy. And, you know, they weren't going to, you can't, there's too many distractions. You're not going to be able to win that game. And this time I think, you know, if they can go in and, and, be a down TCU. I mean, they should beat them. TCU is not that good. They lost their quarterback. They lost Kevontae Turpin. Like they're not the TCU of last year or the years before. This would be the time to go in and to show, you know, to get it done at home, to have the best home record. If they win, they have the best home record since 2014. And Matt Rule said, you know, on Monday, we want to reclaim McLean. You know, we feel like we kind of we lost it. They lost it kind of during the Grove year a little bit and then lost it last year. And this is their chance if they win this one to reclaim McLean. And I think with all the home games they have next year, I believe they have seven home games next year. That's, you know, or maybe more than that. They have, uh, you know, this would be the time to, to be able to do that. That's Jessica Mori. You can follow her on Twitter at Jessica Mori. Find her on KCEN in Waco area. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. 
thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Jessica Mori for joining the program. You can find her on KCEN and follow her on Twitter at Jessica Mori. But now it's on to week 12. Last week wasn't the greatest week for me from a picks perspective. I only went five and six, and we had a couple of really bad beats. I will say, I said that the Baylor game would be a 14-point game because the line was 14 and a half, and I was right on the nose. 28 to 14 was the final, but I was not quite as lucky in, in a couple of other areas. UTEP, of course, loses by 16. The line was 13 and a half. I thought they'd be able to keep it close, but I was mistaken. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple others too. Uh, UNT obviously goes and loses to Old Dominion. That's a wholly unexpected loss. Uh, Houston goes and loses to Temple. And, and we'll actually go ahead and get started there. Houston versus Tulane, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Houston is a 10-point favorite against Tulane. And look, it all comes down to this. Houston has to go out there and beat Tulane and beat Willie Fritz's option-centric attack. Houston, of course, ha had an inside track to the American title game before what happened last week. And now all of a sudden, the Cougars have two losses in conference play, which puts them into a tie with this Tulane team and SMU. So to have any chance of making it to the American title game, this is a must win for Houston. And they're playing this game at home. It's senior night. It's a Thursday. Look, all I'm going to say is if Houston can't get up for this game, then they don't deserve to be in the American title game. And... It's as simple as that. Now, when Houston wins games, it's usually by a lot. There's not a whole lot of close scores, not a lot of three-point games, six-point games when it comes to Houston because the currency in those games is touchdowns. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Houston to cover the 10-point spread. And look, again, this is a challenge. Houston, you have to go out there and win this game because otherwise you've wasted an almost guaranteed spot in the American title game. Uh, all the pressure is going to be on them. And look, at the same time, they still need – SMU to lose another game so this is a must-win game for Houston I think they're able to do it I think they're able to do it by more than 10 points moving on to another team that's lost its luster as of late UNT faces off against FAU 8 30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network they'll be playing in Denton and UNT is a three and a half point favorite against the visiting Florida Atlantic Owls and obviously a year ago Lane Kiffin was the hottest coach in really the entire sport <laughs> you know he, he led them to a conference usa title um and they haven't really been able to recapture that magic in recent weeks they're sitting at just five and five on the season but they are coming off of a pair of wins 34 15 over western kentucky and 49 to 14 over butch uh, butch davis's excuse me fiu squad so what is this fau team because you look at their losses okay fine they lose at oklahoma oklahoma's really good they lose at UCF. UCF is really good. Uh, but then they also lose by one to Middle Tennessee. They lose by 24 to Marshall. And they lose by eight to Louisiana Tech. So it's hard to know what exactly this team is because even in their wins, now the one against FIU I think is especially impressive, a 35-point win. But Bethune-Cookman, they only win by 21. Air Force, they win by six. FAU's not a great team this year. And now it's up to UNT to prove that on their home field. It's been a while since we've seen UNT functioning at their true full potential, but I think they're going to need to do it against FAU because I think that both these teams are going to come in extremely motivated. Like I mentioned, UNT is a three and a half point favorite. Here's what it comes down to. When UNT takes the lead, they have to hold on to it. I think they're going to be able to do it this week against FAU. I think they're going to be able to do it by more than four points. I'm going to pick UNT to cover against FAU. 
And look, I, I hope that this is an opportunity for them uh, to go out there and find a way to build some momentum and hopefully go and eventually win their bowl game. But it's going to be a big opportunity for them. I think they pick it up. Next up on Friday, SMU versus Memphis, 8 p.m. on ESPN2. SMU is a nine-point underdog against the Tigers. And look, we talked about SMU a little bit last week, and for good reason, because SMU, to start the year, they didn't look like a passable football team. They looked like an FCS team or something like uh, out there because they go, they lose by 23 to UNT, they lose by 30 to TCU, they lose by 25 to Michigan. And since that moment, something has flipped. Against Navy, they win by one. Against UCF, they do lose by four touchdowns, but that's UCF. They beat Tulane. They have a six-point loss in overtime to Cincinnati. But then they go out and beat Houston by 14. Now, last week against UConn, they don't look particularly impressive, but now you have two games left. And in a lot of ways, you know, I mentioned for Houston that it's a must-win game to beat Tulane. Well, for SMU, if SMU can beat Memphis, they can pretty much wrap up the American West title because they have a tiebreaker over both Tulane and over Houston at this point. So if all three of those teams finish with two losses, which isn't possible just for the record, but you know, if all of them did, then SMU would emerge victorious. But it does have to come this week against Memphis because Memphis is probably the best team in this division, at least right now, with the way that Houston's playing. But Memphis also hasn't necessarily performed on the field to the level that we all expected from them. The Tigers are sitting at just 6-4 and four at this point, 3-3 three and three in conference play. Uh, that includes a one-point loss to UCF. That includes a 16-point loss to Tulane and a one-point loss against Navy. So this isn't the same kind of unbeatable Tiger squad that we've seen the past couple of years. But we need to see the SMU squad that we saw two weeks ago against Houston. Against the Cougars, they win 45-31 to 31 in a game that's not even really that close. Ben Hicks has one of the best games of his entire career in that one with 318 passing yards. That's the Ben Hicks we need to show up against Memphis on Friday night. Uh, like we mentioned, Memphis, they're a good offense. They're an okay defense. But this is a big opportunity for SMU because if they win this game, one week later they have Tulsa on the road, and Tulsa's not very good this year. So winning this game could be enough. It would move them to 5-2 and two in conference play with a potential 6-2 and two against Tulsa, and that could give them a spot in the, the AAC title game. As I mentioned, SMU's a 9-point underdog. I think they're easily going to cover that, and you know what? I think SMU wins this game. SMU outright against Memphis. I think that they managed to virtually lock up the American West. Huge win for Sonny Dykes, and I really can't say enough about what Sonny Dykes has done this year. Uh, especially after that slow start. It would have been very easy for him to lose a team, lose the locker room, lose the fan base. He's managed to scrounge it back together after that crazy 0-3 start to the season. And now I think that he's going to cap it off with an American West title. Moving on, we've got UTSA going to Marshall, 1.30 p.m. UTSA is a 26-point underdog against Marshall. And for good reason. UTSA cannot score the football. And I, I don't know whether UTSA is familiar, but... In order to win football games, you kind of have to score. You don't have to score a lot of points, but you, you have to score a couple of points. And funnily enough, it feels like this offense has almost contracted. A week ago, they only scored seven points against FIU. The week before, they only scored three points against UAB. The, the worst part about the FIU game is that FIU's fine. They're not incredible. Uh, and they only scored seven points in the last minute of the game because Bryce Rivers throws some crazy pass down the field. 
for a touchdown. So before that, they went, oh man, it had been since the Southern Miss game on October 20th since they had scored a touchdown. They scored one touchdown since October 20th. Think about that. Oh man, and now they're playing against Marshall, who aren't at the top of their game, but they're playing pretty well right now. I just don't see any way that they're able to keep it close against Marshall. I think Marshall easily covers his 26-point line, and I think, uh, once again, Frank Wilson's going to have a whole lot of difficult questions to answer. Because keep in mind, too, UTSA, the final week of the season, they play against UNT, and that could be a game that gets ugly. Next up, we got Texas State traveling to Troy, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN+. Texas State is a 23.5-point underdog against Troy, and... I don't see any reason that Tech State should be able to cover against a good Troy team. Uh, honestly, Troy's one of the most underrated programs, in my opinion, in the Sun Belt. Uh, well, and, and I think maybe Sun Belt people know how good they are, but Troy is just consistent. They, uh, Neil Brown is a coach over there. He does a great job. He has them prepared. He has them ready. And I don't know that we can say that at this point about Tech State, especially because they don't have uh, Willie Jones, who's probably going to be held out the next couple of weeks. There's no real reason to play him, no real reason to put him in any harm's way. Troy, on the other hand, again, 6-0 in conference play, 8-2 in the conference. A week ago, they beat Georgia Southern by 14, and they've got a big matchup the next week against App State. So that would be the one thing that maybe you could say, oh, okay, you know, there's, there's a chance is they go on the road to App State to end the year. So maybe it's a look-ahead game. I mean, we did see that earlier in the year when uh, Troy took Liberty for granted and ended up pulling off a loss there, which... Bad, bad, bad loss for Troy. But other than that, they've been almost impeccable, beating Nebraska by five points, beating uh, Georgia State by 17, beating South Alabama by 21. They've handled everybody that's been thrown their way so far other than that weird Liberty game. So I, I don't think that Tech State's going to be able to hang, especially not without Willie Jones. I think that Troy is able to win this game pretty easily, and I think they're able to win it by more than 24 points. Next up, we got Texas Tech traveling to Kansas State, 2.30 p.m. on ESPNU. Texas Tech is an eight-point favorite heading into Wildcat territory. It sounds like Alan Bowman's still going to be out for this game and Jet Duffy's going to be under center, but I think we're seeing to this point, Duffy's getting better, uh, especially throwing the ball down the field. I think he's made a lot of strides, and granted, having some incredible wide receivers like Antoine Wesley around him sure helps, but last week against Tex, he goes 23 for 47 for 444 yards and four touchdowns. If not for the turnovers... Texas Tech probably wins that ball game. And now Alan Bowman's clearly a better player. He puts the ball in better positions. He doesn't turn the ball over as much. But Duffy does have that ability to move with his legs as well, which I think brings an interesting dynamic to the uh, Texas Tech offense that I think that Kansas State is going to have to prepare for. And look, Kansas State's struggling this year. This is not the same sort of Kansas State team that we've become accustomed to in the Bill Snyder era. In fact, the Wildcats are right on the edge of missing a bowl game at this point for the first time in what since like Snyder's second season back during the the return in fact Texas Tech can actually knock them out of a bowl game this week they're sitting at four and six at this point and they got Iowa State next week there's not a whole lot of reason to believe that Kansas State can stick around and because of that I'm going to take Texas Tech to win and I'm going to take Texas Tech to cover Excuse me, that was actually a six-point line, so that's, that's a no-brainer for me. Texas Tech wins by more than six. I think that they're able to take care of business, and I think they're able to go into the final week of the season with a bowl already in hand. Next up, we got Texas A&M versus UAB, 6 p.m. on ESPN2. 
Texas A&M is a 16 and a half point favorite heading into this game, but in a lot of ways for me, this is my game of the week. UAB is maybe one of the most underrated programs in college football right now. Now, they have a lot of upperclassmen because of how they needed to get some players after literally losing their program two years ago. But since losing to Coastal Carolina on September 8th, UAB has been unbeatable. And I mean that literally. They're 7-0 in Conference USA play. They're 9-1 overall with that lone loss against Coastal Carolina being the one blip on the radar. And these games aren't particularly close. Now, last week, there was actually a close game against Southern Miss, an overtime matchup, but they do pull it off 26-23. And before that, nobody had come close to them. 52 to 3, 19-0, 29-21, 42-0, 28-7, 28-7, 31-24, 52-0. This is a really good UAB team that can do almost everything well. And they're going against a Texas A&M team that I think is still trying to figure things out a little bit. Uh, for UAB, the quarterback is A.J. Erdley, and he completes 57% of his passes. Now, only seven touchdowns to six interceptions, but on the ground, Spencer Brown is a monster. 197 carries for 913 yards, 14 touchdowns for UAB. So, And on top of that, UAB has one of the best defenses in all of college football. And actually, Jimbo Fisher says he believes that UAB might have the best defense in all of college football. Now, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but this is a talented team. This is a team that is not going to be scared of Texas A&M. They're going to be able to come in, they're going to be able to match up, and they're going to be able to cause some havoc against a good Texas A&M team. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, 16 and a half, there's no way. There's no way that Texas A&M is able to cover 16 and a half. I think this is an easy UAB cover. I don't know if they win the ball game, but it's going to be really, really interesting heading into the fourth quarter. And I think this is going to open some people's eyes about just how good UAB has been this season. Next up, we got UTEP going to Western Kentucky, a matchup of one-win teams at 6.30 p.m. UTEP is a seven-point underdog heading into this game. And here's my thought process on this game. I think that Western Kentucky is not very good. Okay, they have one win. I, I know that's not exactly a hot take. And UTEP, while they haven't been playing well or, and while they haven't gotten the wins, they've been able to keep things close against almost every single team in the sports. Even a week ago, they play against a very good Middle Tennessee team, and they only lose by 16. And in the weeks before that, now they beat Rice, but then 19-0 against UAB. Again, an elite, elite UAB team that's been killing everybody. Then only seven points against Louisiana Tech, three points against UNT, nine points against UTSA, seven points against New Mexico State. The final in the Tennessee game was 24 to zero, but I don't think that that quite expresses just how well they played, especially on defense. So this is a UTEP team that's starting to figure things out a little bit. I don't know whether they're going to be able to go on the road. And, and actually, you know, I got to give a shout out to my guy, Adrian Broadus, who's our UTEP correspondent. There are some crazy stats around UTEP in the past couple of weeks. UTEP hasn't won back-to-back -back road games in 13 years. And keep in mind, they've had good years since then under Mike Price and Sean Kugler. It's not like they've been going 1-11 all these years, and that's why they haven't won back-to-back. -back. They've been decent, and they have not won back-to-back -back road games in 13 years. They also have never won a game in Eastern Standard Time. What? How is that even possible? What? And in 15 years of Conference USA play, UTEP has only had four wins in the month of November against Conference USA opponents. How, how are these numbers even possible? 
I mean, how are these numbers even possible? But you know what? I think that UTEP is able to put it together. I think they're able to go on the road, win their second straight game against a Conference USA opponent on the road. Again, two weeks ago, they beat Rice 34-26. I think they're able to do it again. Not only am I picking them to cover the seven-point spread, or sorry, to not only am I picking them to cover the seven-point underdog spread, I'm also picking them to win the game outright. So UTEP, pick UTEP. I mentioned earlier in the year, I won't pick UTEP until they win a game, and I picked them last week, came pretty dang close, and I'm picking them again this week. So UTEP, don't let me down. Moving on to that Rice team, they go on the road to number seven LSU, 6.30 p.m. on ESPNU. Ugh, Death Valley at night. Oh, Rice, what have you gotten yourself into? They're a 42-point underdog, and honestly, you could tell me they're a 100-point underdog, and there's no way in heck that I'm picking Rice to, to cover really any line imaginable. We're going to finish it off with in what, in my opinion, is one of the marquee games of the weekend. Number 15, Texas versus number 16, Iowa State, 7 p.m. on the Longhorn Network. Texas is only a two-and-a-half-point favorite against the visiting Cyclones. And look, sound the alarms, because I think that Iowa State can win this football game. Iowa State, early in the year, they lost two conference games. They lost against TCU, and they lost against Oklahoma. They only lost by 10 to Oklahoma. They only lost by three to TCU and in the week since because they replaced starting quarterback Zeb Noland with freshman Brock Purdy in the week since then Iowa State has been unstoppable Iowa State has won five straight games including games against West Virginia Oklahoma State and Texas Tech so it's not like they're not used to seeing a team that can play well on both sides of the ball because they went out there and just took the ball right out of Will Greer's hands they didn't let him decide the football game. In fact, that was, that was one of the craziest games that I think I've ever seen uh, between Iowa State and West Virginia because Iowa State just, again, literally just held onto the ball and refused to let go. I'm pulling up the numbers right now, but oh my gosh. They had the ball for 37 minutes and 21 seconds against West Virginia. West Virginia had 152 total yards, were a cool one for 10 on third down, had only nine first downs, how many plays did they run? They only ran 42 plays. So they ran 42 plays for 152 yards, and Iowa State just held onto the ball and did not let go. That's what Texas can't allow Iowa State to do against them on Saturday because when Texas doesn't have the ball, the defense can get worn out. While they have a lot of talent, Texas is still dealing with some depth issues, especially in the secondary right now with some injuries. And really up front too, which is the more concerning thing. Now, the good news for Texas is that Iowa State will be without running back David Montgomery in the first half because he was ejected last week for fighting. So Texas is really going to have to come out to a, a fast start, a quick start, find a way to hold on to the ball, find a way to, uh, to keep the ball moving, to keep the ball in their possession. And again, they can't turn over the ball. They have to convert on third down, and they can't let Iowa State get into the end zone, especially without David Montgomery on the field. I don't know. I, in a game that's this close, I tend to err towards going with the underdog. And you know what? Iowa State's playing their best football of the year. I'm going to pick Iowa State to win this football game outright. Again, Texas, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Get to the Big 12 title game. But at this point, nobody has stopped Iowa State to this point. And until Texas is able to do it, and, and like I mentioned, they've lost two of their last three games. But unless Texas is able to do it and until they're able to do it, I'm going to pick Iowa State to win the game. 
Anyway, folks, thank you so much for joining us. I've been Shahan Jiraja, the College Football Insider at TexasFootball.com. Like I mentioned, you can find all of my work at TexasFootball.com. You can buy the new Texas, Dave Campbell Texas Basketball Magazine. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Texas Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can follow us on Instagram. I'm sure there's other things you can do as well. Subscribe to the podcast. That's a big one. And we really appreciate your support as always. It, it's coming down to the crunch time of the season. These games are starting to get decided. If you're a high school football fan, by the way, there's really no excuse for you not to be subscribed to Texas football today because they're starting to get underway. It's playoff time in Texas high school football. Greg Tepper, Max Thompson, Ishmael Johnson, they cover the sports unlike anyone else. Make sure and check out their podcast as well. But thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back with you on Sunday to discuss this week's slate of games and see where exactly... The state is heading from here, whether SMU manages to stand above, whether Houston looks like they're back in the title game picture, whether UNT looks like they've recovered from a couple of really, really bad performances, and whether Baylor can make it back to a bowl game for the first time in the Matt Rule era. There's plenty to watch this week. We'll be here all weekend long to help break it down. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you guys real soon.